We're going to continue looking at Mark's gospel uh, for a while, and then uh, in the evenings we are going to go in and look at the Ten Commandments. But let's go back to this, Mark chapter 8, and I just want to try and help us as we understand something that may be difficult. It, it, look at verse 12. Jesus sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I think for me it's an amazing thought that Jesus was so human that sometimes he got frustrated, and that he got frustrated with different people. Here in this account, Jesus feeds the 4,000. Now, immediately some of you will go, no, wait a minute, that's wrong because it should be five. Because didn't Jesus feed 5,000? So they look and they say, ah, this is where the Gospels contradict one another. One says five and one says four. No. What you have here are two different accounts. They don't describe the same event. There is a bread and fish involved in both. There's a crossing and a landing involved in both. But they're a difference. They're in different settings, in different contexts. This one here is after three days, not after an afternoon's teaching. And so on. I mean, back in Mark chapter 5, Mark has already spoken <coughs> about the feeding of the 5,000. So this is an eyewitness account of a different event. And that's what makes it really amazing because Jesus, uh, Mark is showing how slow the disciples, including himself, or including Peter anyway, were to understand. See, you would think, if I saw a miracle, that would be it. I would believe forevermore. I would, I mean, you know, if, if Jesus fed the 5,000, if Jesus healed somebody in my, then, then I would believe and that would be it forever because I would remember. Actually, you wouldn't. If that's the reason that you believed, you wouldn't. What the Gospels reveal to us is how slow we are at times to grasp and to understand. Now, that's because, first of all, we notice here that the disciples forgot Jesus. Here again is a hungry crowd intent on hearing the teaching of Jesus. Here again, he showed his compassion and his great power. Here again, the disciples, look in verse 4, his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? But they'd witnessed this before. They'd been in a desperate situation before. Jesus had asked to feed them to feed a huge crowd before. And they forgot. They left Jesus out of their calculations. The old Italian proverb, he who leaves God out of his reckoning does not know how to count. And I think that we can do that as believers, that we find ourselves in a situation where things are really, really difficult and we're in despair and we're saying, how can I be helped? And we forget that God has helped us before. We remember his mercies before. And then we remember that as it says in Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. Then, there's the verse that we read in verse 12, the sorrow of Jesus at the attitude, not of the disciples, but of the Pharisees. They were looking for a sign. What was wrong with that? Why did the man who could feed 4,000 people not show them a specific sign? Well, surely the answer to that is Jesus gave signs in response to need as an expression of his love but also that they came with the wrong attitude. Look at verse 11. The Pharisees came 
and began to question Jesus. They came to test Jesus. And that's why some of you with your friends, um, you guys from Abertay, I'd be really surprised if you didn't meet somebody who said, I would believe in God if he gave me a sign. Let God do this. Let God do that. You can't test God like that. That's why you can't do experiments on God. There are all kinds of research being done at the moment to see if prayer works or not. So you get 20 people who are being prayed for and 20 people who are being told they're prayed for, but they're not being prayed for, and see if it makes any difference. And there are people who actually get paid to do this kind of research. And you have to say right from the beginning, who do you think you are? God is not tested. You can't test God in that way. And so Jesus reacts with sorrow. In fact, it's more than that because when it says he sighed deeply, it means that his human spirit was stirred to its depth. There was sorrow and anger in that. I do believe that there are many people who say they do not believe because they do not see signs or proofs. They think they do not see because there is nothing to see. Jesus says, just open your eyes. Just open your eyes, that's all. It's all there. It's wrong. It's wrong for someone to ask for flashing neon lights across the sky. And so when someone says to you, I don't see God, I don't get it, you know, and, and you're saying, well, maybe he'll reveal himself to you. My, my general answer to this is just simply to say, actually, he has. And the reason you don't see is because your eyes are shut. And God needs to open your eyes. And you pray that he will, he will do that. Verses 14 to 21, the disciples don't understand. Jesus is frustrated at the Pharisees, but here the disciples, they'd forgotten to bring bread except for the loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another. They had a kind of wee discussion group, and they said, it's because of the bread. He's talking about yeast because of the bread, because let's put it this way. This is two and two makes five. Jesus is so frustrated with him. Look at verse 17. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not understand, or are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Proof again, it's two separate events. They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not get it? Do you still not understand? Well, we uh, are, are so like that sometimes. Jesus gives them a very simple instruction. What do they do? They turn it into a really complicated thing. They have a wee discussion, and they start talking about bread, and Jesus is not talking about bread. So what does he do? He questions them again. He rebukes them because he didn't understand the yeast of the Pharisees, what was that? It was the Pharisees' whole attitude to life, which, like yeast, permeated all of their life. And Jesus was saying to the disciples, as he says to us, be on your guard against the spirit of the age and the philosophy of other religions and systems which act like yeast. We are so tempted to turn the way of the Pharisees. There's something of the Pharisee in each one of us, and hence the warning that Jesus gives in verse 15. Get your doctrine right, get your practice right, Avoid formalism and skepticism. Avoid the false doctrine that's like leaven that works through the whole thing, that infects the whole of our life. And we need to understand. We really need to grasp it. And you know, the most important thing about understanding is understanding how little we know. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 2, 
The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. If you're a Christian, you think, I know this. I don't need to go to church to hear anything more. I don't need, I read the Bible, but actually I go to church to judge people. Or I go to a Bible study, a fellowship group to tell people. You don't know. We don't know. Do you realize how liberating it is as a Christian to admit, I don't know? For me, it's, it's immensely liberating. And I don't despair when I meet people who do not understand and do not grasp everything. And I do despair when I meet people who think they do understand and they do grasp everything. We need to pray, Lord, open our eyes, open our understanding. And He does. It's not that it's impossible to understand. It's that it takes time and it's the Lord who grants understanding. Sometimes you will say, I don't see it. I just don't get it. And that may well be right. But that's a whole lot better than thinking you do see it and being wrong, being the blind leading the blind. What do we need to understand? What do we need to see? Two things I think from this miracle. One is the compassion and love of Jesus Christ. He feels for the hungry people who've come to Him for a variety of different reasons. And perhaps many of them will end up calling for Him to be crucified. But He feels for them. They've been three days without food. They have a long walk home. It's human sometimes to want to avoid giving help. It's human to say, I don't want to get involved, but it's Christ-like to get involved. I thought this morning was incredibly powerful. Uh, Marceli and Maureen and the work that's being done in Kampala. But I tell you, the big error for this morning would be if we said, isn't that a wonderful work that we're doing, that they're doing? Let's pray for them and almost kind of vicariously let them serve the poor. Let us serve the poor through them, which we must do, but we ourselves must look to be involved. Annabelle was, was telling me that she almost went to stand up this morning saying, who's going to go? You know, who, who, who will go? Well, we need to think about that. We need to think about the compassion of Christ for the people who are lost. And we need to understand His power, who He is. Those who regard the miracles as fanciful are completely discounting who God is. If Jesus is God, there is no problem in doing these things. This is important for us to remember because we so easily forget. The Lord answers prayer, we'll feel close to Him, and then we drift away, and when the next crisis comes, or the next demand, or the next request, we again say, how can we do this? And we get in despair. In Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. How will He not also satisfy every need and meet every aspiration, not only for ourselves, but also for others? Jesus challenges us to help. He says to Abertais CU, reach every fresher. Tell every fresher. And you think, how, how is that possible? It's impossible, but for the compassion and the power of Jesus Christ. I think in terms of people's greatest need for spiritual life, we see that uh, in, in so many ways. I want to just return just for a minute to this question of signs. 
There are those who say, look, we have to show people that we are powerful and alive. We have to show people we are relevant. I'm not sure that this is right at all because of the dangers that we look to the signs rather than the reality. The signs follow. God's love and power is present in Jesus in all forms of truth. Don't we understand that as we are worshiping Jesus just now, He is present. He is here. We don't have to ask Him to be here. We don't have to say, Lord, I want to know that you are with me because you heal my sore hand or because you answer this particular prayer. Have we not yet learned to see God is in all the everyday things of life and to realize that Jesus is not just for Sunday or for the spectacular? William Barclay, who I won't often quote, but in this he was very wise, said this, the sign of the truly religious man is not that he comes to church to find God, but that he finds God everywhere. Not that he makes a great deal of sacred places, but that he sanctifies common places. And just as I would say to an unbeliever, you want to see God, look. I'd say to Christians, you want to see Jesus at work? Look, open your eyes. See the harvest. See what's involved. There's one example that we read through to verse 26 of, of this seeing, and it's in, in terms of the blindness, this blind man. Blindness was a great problem in the Middle East, often caused by ophthalmia and the glare of the sun, plus lack of hygiene and cleanliness. It was a horrible condition. Uh, Barclay talks about matter-encrusted eyes on which the flies persistently settled. It's horrible not being able to see. But Jesus heals that man, and note how he does so. He takes him by the hand. He leads him out of the village. Why? Perhaps consideration. Perhaps because he was born blind. Uh, this week at the conference I was at, there was a woman there who was uh, blind and deaf. I was utterly astounded at the people in Elim. So many of them have learned to sign. So they sign on her hand. So she heard all the talks. And she wanted to speak to me afterwards. And the only way to communicate was for me to hold her hand and for her friends to sign. And it was just, I thought it was just, it was wonderful. The people who were queuing up to help in that way. Jesus empathizes with his patient. The great doctor empathizes with their patient. The great teacher understands their pupil. He spat on the man's eyes. Why? Maybe accommodation. He used methods that the man could understand. The ancient world believed in the healing power of spittle, which sounds disgusting to us, but it's actually not as ridiculous as it might sound. You instantly put a cut or burn finger into your mouth. Maybe Jesus just used that. He used different means to heal and different agencies. But my major concern here is with the spiritual blindness that we go back to the other two, because I think Mark does link all of these, where he's saying, don't you get it? Don't you see? Our spiritual eyes, our understanding is blocked. The Pharisees claimed to be able to see, but Jesus pointed out that they were the blind leading the blind. Now then, amazingly, this miracle happens but it's very unusual in that it's not an instant healing. He sees men as trees walking around. Why did Jesus not heal instantly? Don't we do that all the time with God? Don't we say, now, if I was God, then I would heal and I would do this and I would cause revival to break out right now. Why doesn't God deal with my suffering? Why doesn't God answer my prayers the way that I want? Maybe he is, but maybe it's not instant. Maybe God takes his time because he loves us. 
The partial seeing, this is maybe a bit fanciful, but I do think there's something in this. The partial seeing is a bit like the disciples, Peter in particular, having a partial understanding of Jesus' nature and work, leading right up to the full revelation given at the transfiguration and at the cross and at the resurrection and at Pentecost. I think some of us, we need spiritual sight, and for some people, it really is that instant where you're walking in darkness and zap, blinding light, you suddenly see everything. But for others of us, it's a very gradual thing. We, we, we come to understand very slowly. We do not see it all. We do not see it all at once. But I think for some of you, you're beginning to see, you're beginning to grasp, you're beginning to understand. In fact, all of us who are Christians, I think we have to say that. We don't see everything clearly. We are learning and we are growing. There does come a point when you get it. There comes a point the man's eyes were opened. There's clarity. I think the fixed point for us as Christians is when we see Jesus. Man, I think there's, 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 there's comfort for the believer in this. We see in part. We know in part. We are like those who travel by night. We have the light to guide us, but sometimes we're not sure what is ahead or what is going on around us. There are things in God's providence that we do not understand. We are the person who's driving in a car, and the headlamps show us the road. They don't show us what's around the corner. They don't show us what's happening to our right or to our left or behind us. And that's what our life is like. There are things in God's providence that we do not grasp. There are things in the conduct of God's saints that disturb us. We see only men walking like trees. So we have to look forward. There will come a time when we shall all see clearly. When the day of the Lord comes, our spiritual eyesight will be perfect and we'll be saying, how could we have been so blind? 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We've been working through 1 John in the mornings. Chapter 3 says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. There is um, an incredible arrogance that so many people have. I think it was the philosopher Bertrand Russell who was asked, if you were to die and you were to meet God, what would you ask him? And he said, why didn't you make yourself more clear? And that just shows the arrogance of man, because God could not have made himself any clearer. Some of you are aware, I mentioned it this morning, but let me just explain it because I think this is really, really important. Stephen Hawking came out with a book, um, which is not really news because he's had this view for some time, in which he says that modern science can now prove there is no God, in effect, do away with the need for God. People will buy into that. It is complete and utter nonsense simply because of this. Modern science, as we normally understand it, is empirical science. That is, you've got to be able to falsify things. You've got to be able to test things. 
And science and the scientific method is fantastic. It, of course, it can't do everything because it only deals with material. But what Stephen Hawking has done is he's realized that um, the view that matter is eternal is not sustainable. He's realized that the fine-tuning of the universe, the amazing design of the universe points to God. And so he's now come to say, without any evidence for this whatsoever, there is no test for this. He has a theory called M-theory for which he admits, and in fact, by very, its very definition, M-theory cannot be empirically, scientifically proven that... Um, the only way that the world can be as it is without God is to have multiverses, as many universes as there are possibilities of things occurring. Now, I'm not going into any more detail than that, just simply to say, here is a man who is so determined, and other people who are intelligent people, who are so determined to avoid God that they will negate their own science in order just to say there is no God. There is no God. God has provided abundantly. He has provided swathes of evidence in the creation, in His Word, through Jesus Christ. One of the things that happens when you, when someone says, don't you understand, don't you get it? Have you ever had one of those um, games where someone is doing something and you've got to try and guess what's happening? And when you finally work out what's happening, you, you grasp it. It is so obvious. You think, how did I not notice that? How did I not get it? Or there's a painting. It's one of these kind of trick paintings almost. And, and you look at it and they say, don't you see it? Don't you see it? Don't you? you don't see it. You don't see it. You don't see it. And then they point out what the it is. And you go, oh, how did I miss that? Well, that's what we're like with Jesus Christ. And I want to say to those of you who are not Christians, pray that God would open your eyes that you would see. We're going to sing in a moment. I once was blind, but now I see. It takes grace to do that. So you have to ask God to open your eyes. But for those of us who are Christians, I think we need to back away from this rather cowardly approach and rather pathetic approach where we say, well, it's just by faith and other people can't see it and they can't see it because we can't say that it's there and so on. I just want to say simply, actually we can say that it's there. All around us is the proof and the evidence of the goodness and the love and the glory of God and the beauty of Jesus Christ. To see things clearly. May the Lord grant us understanding and good sight. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we marvel how in our blindness, we can be so arrogant. How frustrated you were with the religion of the Pharisees coming and demanding a sign from you. And how frustrated at your own disciples who after seeing two incredible miracles of feeding, miraculous feeding, still didn't understand what you were saying and who you are. We pray that you would give us understanding that you would open the eyes of our minds, open the eyes of our hearts, that we may see Jesus. Lord, this week, as we go into another week, may all around us, as we experience the darkness, may we see the light, and may we know your guidance and your help with us, for we ask it in your name. Amen.